Hello, and welcome back to Refocus with the ARA. My name is BJ Matthews. Today's episode was recorded a few weeks ago with Realtors Relief Foundation fundraising consultant Jeff Borkhart. As most of you know, Arkansas was hit pretty heavily by some tornadoes on March 31st. It impacted Little Rock, North Little Rock, Jacksonville, and Wynn, Arkansas. And we were fortunate enough to get a million-dollar grant from Realtors Relief Foundation. And Jeff is one of the guys that actually fundraises throughout the year for Realtors Relief Foundation to help make sure that they are able to help states like Arkansas when disaster strikes. And so it was very interesting to sit down with him, talk about how he approaches fundraising for an organization like Realtors Relief Foundation and found out how we can take what he knows and kind of apply it to what we do in our everyday life here at the association. Let's dive in. All right. So we're joined with Jeff Borkhart here today. Did I say that right? Borkhart is correct. <laughs> with uh, Realtors Relief Foundation. And uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit about you, how you got your start working with Realtor Relief and uh, what you did before that. Yeah, sure. So I've been working with Realtors Relief for all of about four months, uh, replaced my colleague Francesca. Um, and we've been working with the organization for about two and a half years since they launched the 20th anniversary campaign in 2021. So I, uh, I, I've been a fundraiser my entire professional career. I started at UCLA in the Department of Surgery and Orthopedic Surgery, and I've been with my company, um, ADS. We're a consulting firm that uh, that, that works with uh, medical trade associations and their affiliated foundations uh, since 08. So wow. I've worked with a lot of different organizations. Uh, RF is, is very unique in a sense that it's, it's large because it's related to NAR, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's very philanthropic and charitable. So it's been pretty cool being down here the last few days, seeing the dollars at work because we raise a lot of money, but oftentimes we don't get to see how that's spent and to see the, the instantaneous uh, uh, sharing of the, the funds raised here in, in Little Rock and other communities has been awesome. But I'm sure we'll get into that here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what attracted you to fundraising right off the bat? Uh, my grandpa was a fundraiser. Um, he, it's in he the family blood. Yeah, kind of, honestly. My grandpa <laughs> was a fundraiser. My uncle was a fundraiser. And so I did my internship at a large consulting firm in Chicago when I was uh, between my junior and senior year of college. And so when I graduated, I was a communications major. And I just said, let's, uh, let's try this out. So moved out to Los Angeles, like a lot of 22-year-olds do, and <laughs> was lucky enough to get a job at UCLA and uh, kind of springboarded me from there and been doing it ever since. That's great. So what's been probably the, one of the coolest experiences as a fundraiser? Uh, I Honestly, the, it's going to sound kind of corny, but I, I like going to the, uh, the big events we do. Some of our clients do galas that are associated with the foundation. And I raised about $7 million for the American society for gastrointestinal endoscopy foundation. So GI docs, uh, about 10 years ago, we were building a brand new facility and their gala was at Petco park, which is where the Padres play. Right. And I got to take batting practice from the field. No way. Yeah. For, from second base. I played baseball in high school. I, I like to think I was pretty good, but <laughs> I was wearing a suit and a tie and my dress shoes. And I couldn't even hit it out of the park yeah, from second yeah, base. Yeah, so we'll I was, blame it on the suit. I was embarrassed. Yeah. Not not the 20 years of not doing any, any baseball, but that was cool. But honestly, from a fundraising standpoint, when you're working with organizations like RRF and a lot of the trade and medical groups I've worked with, you're working with people at the top end of their industry. So people that run departments or divisions at Mayo Clinic or at Johns Hopkins, or they're CEOs of big fortune 500 companies. So having that access has always been really cool to me um, to be able to text, you know, the, a world renowned <laughs> vascular surgeon and say, Hey, I, uh, what should I do in this instance? It, it's really cool. The access that we're granted through that. I bet you met some very interesting people in your time. As well. Very much, very much. It's, it's cool. And, uh, I think every 
because of our fundraising model, we typically work with organizations for a year to two years, sometimes longer, but our, our directors are on projects for a year or two. Uh, so you get a, a new flavor every couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't get stagnant or stale, which is, it's fun. It's, it's exciting for, for me personally, because I get to learn a little bit about it, a lot of different industries right. as I, as I age. <laughs> So you say fundraising module, is that what you said? I just said fundraising model, model. Like our, okay. our corporate model. It's, it's not like Jeff, okay, you're going to work with RRF until we don't work with them anymore. Right. It's like you, you guys were lucky to work with Francesca for about two and a half years and, and our president, Tyler, um, Tyler oversees everything, but Francesca, you know, we were already thinking about making a transition to, to get her on something new. And it worked out that, you know, I was available to, to take over and it's been great so far. That's great. Well, we're happy to have you here. Um, we're thankful for the work you've done for us in the three days that you've been here. You've helped <laughs> us generate over $20,000 for Realtors Relief Foundation, which I think is incredible. Um, take me through your process as a fundraiser. When you're thinking about raising funds, what are the most important things you're thinking about? So fundraising can be a little bit daunting. And it's funny, uh, even when I explain to people what I do as a, as a fundraising consultant, they think we do special events, golf outings, uh, raffles, things like that. And that's a part of it, but that's a lot of work to not raise a lot of money. So I, I think for, in, in general, my tip to people that are getting into fundraising as either as professionals or as volunteers is understand the need of the organization and support it yourself. Uh, me and Mike Ford were talking a few minutes ago and it's like, you can never ask someone else to give unless you've done it personally. Whether you've given $100 or $10,000, before you pick up the phone and say, BJ, I'd like you to consider a commitment to the Realtors Relief Foundation, you have to do it yourself. And as I shared with the, the volunteer team yesterday or Wednesday, whenever that was, be honest, just be genuine. I've always found that to be the most, uh, most impactful. People can see through it if you're just, you know, reading off a script or talking points. So we always provide our, our volunteer leaders with, with what I call prompts. But mm -hmm. I say, these are prompts, take whatever you will from it. But at the end of the day, make the message your own, because if you're committed to something and you believe in the cause, it's going to come through, whether it's via text, via phone call, via video message, um, because people, people want to see that genuineness from others. Mm -hmm. And I personally think I have that type of personality. I'm very upfront and open with people and I hope that my volunteers do the same. So uh, yeah, I think being honest, having a plan of action and, and understanding the need and why we're trying to do this. Yeah. It's a good start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was actually just talking with, uh, with one of the volunteers from hot springs and, and she was, she was saying that, yeah, we were getting requests from, from some of our other members that were here yesterday and we didn't really understand what was going on. So I had to explain the relationship between RRF, between the local foundation here, mm -hmm. between ARA, between NAR. Right. And it, it, it's kind of complicated, but I said, basically what RRF does is we provide the funds to the local and state organizations so they can distribute it out in their communities. And she said, oh, so we're basically replenishing what you've given out. I said, exactly. And we've already given out, RRF has already, I think, given out over $3 million this calendar year alone in four months. Mike was telling me you guys had probably 12 to 15 disasters you're currently supplying funds to. We had 11, and then I think the board virtually approved two more earlier this week. <laughs> so 13 totaling more than $3 million. That's incredible. Which is great that we have the financial means to do so. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that means there are people impacted across the country to the tune of at minimum $3 million because we can't, can't fund everything. Right. But it's, I, like I said, man, being here in person and seeing the things, seeing the 
interviewing the individual and having them give them a check for $2,000 20 minutes later, like we did on Wednesday. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It was. You're not going to see that many places. It's been an incredible experience so far. I think at our last count yesterday, we had helped over 350 families. We had given away over $700,000 oh. already. We are having to cut off the funds today at 4 p.m. because we've, I mean, we've given away the million now. We're, right. We've surpassed that. Wow. Uh, we're going back to ask for more. Hey. We're hoping you guys are generous enough to give us a little more. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have a say in that, but I think my Mike Ford is, uh, he, he He's has, an influential he has person. some influence <laughs> and, uh, I think the, you'll probably get the decision that you like, but yeah, that, that's amazing to see in three days, you know, a million dollars has been distributed yeah. to the community, to people of all socioeconomic backgrounds. Right. I mean, that's, that's the coolest part that it's not, uh, not just middle-class, not just lower-class, not just upper-class, everyone, tornadoes, tornadoes. Mm, don't they don't see, discriminate. <laughs> yeah. They definitely do not discriminate. So, um, but that's been really cool seeing the stories and seeing the people hearing the stories. Yeah. And we've been blessed to, you know, be gifted funds from Realtors Relief Foundation at almost every single natural disaster we've had. Um, especially since I've been here, at least I know through at least 2017, 2018, we've been working with you guys, if not longer than that. So it's been a long, good partnership, in my opinion. Um, you guys have really helped out Arkansans in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, as uh, when you're fundraising for a big organization, what are the, what are the pressures that are different from whenever you're fundraising for small, if you've ever fundraised, you sound like you started at UCLA. You don't sound like you've ever done a small <laughs> fundraiser. Uh, it's funny. Cause my, my first experience was at UCLA and not to, not to downplay anything there, but it's Los Angeles and I was working in medical sciences development. So department of surgery and orthopedic surgery. So if a neurosurgeon saves your life and you're worth $50 million, cutting a check for a million dollars is not out of the question. So we'd see at minimum $50,000 checks every day. Wow. And the minimum, funny, the minimum commitment to even get a letter from the Dean, a signed letter was a $5,000 contribution. So hmm. you think about that from an association or a foundation perspective, typically anything over a thousand or even 500, in many cases, you're getting a handwritten note. Yeah, 500, so, we're, we're coming to shake your hand, give you a hug. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we got the check today from the Hot Springs uh, Association and, you know, for 2,500 and they're a relatively small group, but that's meaningful, right? But I, I would say that the challenges are, are definitely built on the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, the larger the organization, the more, uh, the more red tape. So uh, in some cases with, with smaller groups and our firm generally, we don't, we work with, with organizations from a million plus budget to NAR essentially, <laughs> it's the largest association in the United States. Um, but I think w what we've seen is that if you can have that direct access to the, the key opinion leader, either the CEO, the executive director, um, if you have a, a good line of communication there, you can typically get things done. It's when there's a lot of bureaucracy where you're, there's seven, seven steps to get something approved that it's a little bit more challenging, but luckily those are few and far between. And with Nick on board now at RF, the new executive director, it's been great because we just say, Hey Nick, this is what we need from a fundraising standpoint, work with Mike Ford, Mike McGrew, and then our, our chairs, uh, Mike Inman and Kitty Wallace to, to get those things done. Excellent. So we do quite a bit of fundraising here on a local level, not anywhere near at the level you guys do it. Um, but our local boards organize throughout the year to do big fundraisers to raise for Special Olympics and our Hearts and Homes program and things like that on a, on a scale that small. Do you have any kind of recommendation of ways that our boards could 
really kind of knock things out of the water. Any uh, fresh new ideas you think you could pitch to them that they could be thinking about for smaller fundraisers that are easy with like a five man team? <laughs> yeah. You're not doing everything, BJ? What are you talking about? No, um, I, I think honestly, it's it's being prepared and having a plan of action on the front end. Mike and I were, were thinking through what we could have done differently had we had a little bit more time from a fundraising perspective from this event, but it's make sure everyone has call lists, right? It's if, if you have 10 volunteers working, it's very easy to reach out to 10 people a piece, right? So you, in theory, you could have a hundred commitments at whatever level the request is, but to know that Jeff is calling John, Tammy and Jim and BJ is not calling John and Tammy and Jim, because then you're getting dual solicited. So have to be very organized in who's assigned which prospect or which individual. So you're not double asking, but also to, to have an understanding of what's the goal, right? It's not, we're going to raise as much as we can always have an established goal, whether it's too low or too high, because you always want something to strive for. But I think from an organizational standpoint, it's having people reach out to their friends, to their family. And once again, sharing the message as to why they're involved. Um, it's speaking from the heart is much more powerful than just saying, yeah, I'm raising, I, I was, I was voluntold to do this, <laughs> right? I mean, no, I'm doing this because we care about special Olympics in the community here. And I've set a personal goal of raising a thousand dollars neighbor. Would you make a $50 contribution? You know, good friend, would you make a hundred dollar contribution and doing it in person is always best, but at least over the phone in today's world, people always kind of want to just text and sometimes that's fine. Texting is fine to schedule a call, right. but never say, hey, BJ, I'd like you to consider a $500 gift to the Special Olympics. You know why? Because you can just ignore that text. <laughs> you can ignore that email. If I see you in person or I get you on the phone, um, it may be a little bit uncomfortable, but if you really believe in the cause, make it per as personal as possible. Nowadays with videos, man, shoot a 10 second video clip and send that via text. Cause at least it's more personal than just a, a standard text message. So I always tell volunteers, whether you're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars or a thousand dollars, just make your requests as personal as possible. Mm -hmm. Be organized. So you're not dual soliciting and be able to share, you know, your personal, um, belief in the mission, the vision of the organization and why it's important to you mm -hmm. and thank people. If you don't thank people, they're not going to feel good about it. Absolutely. Whether if you give me 50 bucks and Mike gives me 500, I'm giving you the same thank you that I'm giving Mike, because at the end of the day, we don't understand everyone's kind of socioeconomic background and anything you can do is appreciated. True. And always, I think lastly, it's like my, uh, our president would be upset with me if I didn't say this, always make a specific request. <laughs> Never say, BJ, I just like you to make a commitment. If I think you can make a hundred dollar commitment, ask, I'm going to ask you for a hundred, mm -hmm. but you can always then fall back and say, if that's not feasible, do whatever you can. Mm -hmm. But if you ask someone to make a gift, they're going to resort to the lowest common denominator. And okay, I'll give you five bucks. That's great. But it's going to take me $25 gifts instead of $100 gift. Right. Right. So it's just kind of balancing that out and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but right. once you get through the first couple, it's uh, it's good to go. Yeah. So we have a lot of people or a lot of boards that do, um, you know, like tournament fundraisers. They'll do bago tournaments. I'm not sure if you'll have bago up in Chicago. Cornhole. We call cornhole. It cornhole. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I get funny looks whenever I call it bago sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, we sometimes some of our boards do an excellent job of driving traffic to their event. Some struggle with it. What would you say the best way if you're doing something where you're not necessarily calling and asking for a specific donation, but you're asking people to show up and support you and help volunteer outside of showing up yourself. Yeah. Um, I, 
I, for fun events like that, it's about promoting the fun and the benefit of the fun, right? Who doesn't want to get together and have a couple of drinks and throw, throw sandbags at, at, uh, at boards for a couple hours. <laughs> and I always talk about uh, from a fundraising perspective, make sure that the majority of funds are actually going to go to the charity. Mm-hmm. You don't want to run an event that costs you 1500 and you raise a thousand. You want to run an event that costs you 500 and you raise 2000. But I think it's about sharing, kind of making it more of a social thing. And if the fundraising component is a team registration, then you don't have to ask them for more money. Make the team registration a hundred bucks with 80 of that going to the organization and 20 for the overhead and the costs. Cause then it, it eliminates some of the uh, maybe angst of making a direct, direct request. So I think build that into your registration fee. Mm-hmm. But I think promote it, man. I mean, especially in smaller towns, not that Little Rock's a small town, but when we were up in Wynn yesterday, we saw the community really coming together. So if there are, if there are bars, if there are gas stations, uh, you know, local bases, basically where people communicate locally or, or convene locally, put up flyers, things like that. I mean, it's social media, it's good, but I, I think everyone's too reliant on social media these days. It's still about getting out there and introducing people to this concept and letting them know that it's happening. Make a goal, try to find two other teams. You and three buddies are signing up to play. Try to get eight other people to sign up because then it becomes more fun mm-hmm. and it's not you and your three friends. And you get for, to beat all your friends. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and uh, it, it grows exponentially, right? If it's a good event and people appreciate it, they'll probably come back the next year. So I think, you know, it's like give one, get one. You ever seen those like fundraisers? Yeah. Like I'm going to give one, but I'm going to get someone else to do the same thing. Then you're at least doubling, you know, the immediate impact. So, so what's, uh, what's been some of the most successful things you've ever seen done at fundraisers to help raise money? Uh, in, in our line, because we're unique, because we work with associations, we don't do a lot of the special event stuff. Um, the number one key to a successful solicitation, aside from listening and having an understanding of what the potential prospect is interesting, interested in, it's making sure you have the right leader at the table. So I'm not going to go into to, to solicit the Arkansas Realtors Association without Mike Ford. You know why? Because it's a lot, heck of a lot harder to say no to Mike Ford than to Jeff Borkhart. It's impossible to say it's, no to Mike Ford. I've I, learned the past I, month. Yeah, I've learned, yeah, I've learned that too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you have to sync up, you know, understand where those relationships exist, understand who's the best candidate to sit across the table. Not that they can't say no to, but that they'll have their respect and understanding and say, if Mike is coming to the table and making this request, it must be important. And you can't use the same person over and over because it then it dilutes the value. But that's why with NAR and with RF, it's great because we have an appeal committee across the country. So if we're in Kansas, we're using Mike McGrew. If we're in Kentucky, we're using Mike Inman. If we're in Washington, we're using Kitty Wallace and so on. So um, I think making sure that your volunteer infrastructure is representative of your constituencies makes the most sense in Arkansas, right? You have your, your local associations. Are there 13 or so? I forget. Oh, we have 27, 27, 27 boards. So making sure you have representation from all of them, right? If you're going to do a state event, make sure there's a team or something from each of those as, as feasible. It may not be because it's a pretty large state. We don't, we don't ever really put together teams. That's actually a great idea to have just a little team to represent each board, maybe a a volunteer committee. Mm -hmm. That'd be good. Um, so you said you've been a Realtor Relief Foundation for four months, you said? Yeah, I think I, I came to a meeting with the the executive committee back in, it was either January or early February, but 
my office is directly across from Tyler's and directly next to Francesca's old office. So I've been in the loop for the last two and a half years here and everything they do. And we meet every, our our team meets every Monday to share kind of goings ons with our clients. So, uh, while I haven't been directly involved for since 2021, I've known what was going on. What do you feel like has been the biggest challenge for you as a fundraiser in your career? Biggest challenge. I, I think part of it is lended to the model that, that, that ADS uses. And it's, you work with a new group every couple of years, at least from a director standpoint. So it's, it's trying to figure out what the culture is like, what the, what the politics are, uh, who the key players are. Uh, generally we start with some sort of planning. So we're talking to all of the, the, the KOLs, the key opinion leaders within the, their respective industries. But when you're sitting down for the first day on job and the clock's ticking and you're there to raise money, you have to have a plan. So I think understanding how things operate internally is, is really important. Otherwise you're going to, you know, irritate someone on day one, and then you're going to have, have a, have an enemy for the rest of the time there. So, um, but because we, we move so fluidly um, that I would say that's the biggest challenge. I mean, and sometimes there's just not some of the organizations just don't have a very compelling value proposition Mm -hmm. and not, not, not our fault, not their fault. It's just sometimes companies or members just aren't interested in supporting. So we have to do everything we can to kind of, kind of validate the need say, look, we're not raising money just because we want more money in our bank account. There is either unfunded or underfunded programs. People need to understand that. And I think with RRF specifically, with 1.4 million realtors in the United States, I'd bet less than 1% know what RRF is, right? Even though about 3,000 or so commit on an annual basis, it's much less than 1%. So having them understand how we relate you know, how RF is related to NAR and how it differs from RPAC, which is obviously a very successful program. Um, it's important, but it's education. I Did you uh, say 3,000 people? About 3,000 NAR members donate to RF on an annual basis. That's so low. It's low, but I think it's because we just started proactive fundraising right. in 2021. Okay. And it's part of the, I think part of the challenge is, um, once again, it's education. Right. And it's thinking about of the say 1.4 million members, how many are actual realtors for their sole profession? And it's probably about 20, 30% of that. Mm -hmm. So if you got say 300,000 members, you're at 3000 that give it's 1%. It's not bad. I mean, honestly, that's a, it it sounds crazy, but 1% rate of participation is actually pretty good for an association this size. Really? But that's when you factor, you can't look at the $1.4 million number or 1.4 million member number because quite yeah, frankly, I'm, I'm like, I need 700,000 people donating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like we should, we should be there, but I guess I'm also a little bit biased. I've seen firsthand, you know, the impact that RRF has on their community, on the communities. Um, I anticipate we'll have a much higher turnout for Arkansas donors. Oh, for sure. Arkansas, I believe Arkansas and Oklahoma are the two States that always give from a state level and all of their locals donate to RRF. God. So two of 50, yay. Yeah, I I think the last two years with uh, Doyle Yates leadership, we have had a 100% local board participation and donation, Mm -hmm. which is good for us. And we hope to continue that for a very, very long time. (laughs) Yeah. Arkansas has been great. I mean, under Mike's leadership and Doyle and and everyone else that's been involved, it's been uh, one of the, uh, one of the, the, the guiding organizations, right? I mean, they're kind of leading the pack, which is great. 
Is this your first time to Arkansas? I think I've been, I used to have family in Bentonville. I I, I had a family reunion when I was uh, probably 10 years old. I think we were in Bentonville. I could be wrong. (laughs) Um, Walmart family. Exactly. (laughs) I wish we had that Walton money. Um, But no, I believe I've, I think I've been to Arkansas a few times and I've definitely been through, been to Texarkana a few times for church camp when I was a kid, Um, but never to Little Rock as far as I can recall. But it's been awesome. I mean, some of the people we met yesterday, just salt of the earth people, just very appreciative. And I grew up in a small town in Texas, so I'm kind of used to the Southern lifestyle, but gotcha. I've been away for, I, say, I noticed you had the boots on today. So I didn't oh, know yeah. if you were a Southern kid. I, I wear the boots cause it makes me a couple <laughs> inches taller. Um, <laughs> no, but I, uh, haven't been LA and then Chicago for the last 20 plus years. Um, it's nice to see kind of communities band together. Not that those are bad places, but it's just different. Yeah. So you got to go to win Arkansas yesterday, which was hit probably the hardest of all the cities in Arkansas um, on March 31st. So what was that experience like getting to meet these people and see firsthand the people you're, you're able to help? It was pretty inspiring, honestly. I mean, the, the fact that I, I, I met a, a three generation family, it was a father who's a, a riverboat captain, a son, I, for, I forget what he did. Um, and then the grandfather and their house is completely gone. And to hear the, the, the gentleman, Dylan, I think was his name, the son, he said that he knew his dad was on the river pushing a boat up the Mississippi. So he grabbed his wife, his two daughter, his two young daughters and his grandpa, and they sheltered in a four by four half bathroom and they had three feet concrete walls, which they basically put tile over. That was basically the only thing left in the house and they all survived. And his dad was on the boat with his, his mom. Um, but he said, this is my childhood home, you know, and it, it's gone. And it had been bulldozed at that point. But he said, without the bulldoze, you know, you'd see, couple walls up, no roof. And just to see the devastation one, it's, it's crazy. I I sent video to my wife and she was, she was blown away. Um, But then to, to see how appreciative they were, you know, we're saying, I'm sorry, it's only $2,000, but that's essentially all the funding we have. He said, the the father said, this is just so, we're so appreciative and we never forget anything like this. This is, you know, by the grace of God, we're all still here. And I've heard countless other stories since we've been here. Just, just, you know, just awe inspiring. It's, it's, it's seeing the money at work. You know, I sit on those board calls every Wednesday and the board approves a hundred thousand dollars here, $250,000 here, but to see the, the immediate impact and the appreciative nature that these people have is I think why Mike wanted Nick and I to come down here so much because it, it does change your perspective. You know, it's like, and I, you know, it, it makes you think a small inconvenience, like, oh, my refrigerator's not working and you get so upset. It's like, these people don't have a house. They have nowhere to go. They're staying in a hotel and may not have enough money to get to and from work. So definitely puts it into perspective. But I think what's been awesome is how, at least in Wynn, how the community is kind of banded together. Mm-hmm. Um, very different. There's upper class, there's lower class, primarily middle class community, but uh, everyone's kind of working together to make sure that they come out of it better but so appreciative everyone. Um, but you know, watching it on the news, you kind of, you kind of get used to it. It's like you get numb to all of this stuff because it happens so often nowadays, but to see it first time, you know, firsthand in person, it's, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Now, is that the first time you've gotten to see firsthand tornado damage? Like we, that, we had one in my, in my town or I, I live in Naperville, Illinois. Um, and we had a tornado that, it, it basically knocked down two houses about a mile north and a mile east of where my wife and I live. Um, 
but nothing to this magnitude. I mean, it was some limbs, some power lines, and then two houses that were essentially completely destroyed. But for the most part, nothing like this. And even growing up in Texas, I don't think we ever had any major tornadoes, at least where I'm from, that hit our town. So it's... We see them pretty frequently here, unfortunately. Right. Every tornado season, you're just gearing up for what town's going to get hit because there are a few that seem to get repeat hit. Um, people, People seem to... I, there, a lot of the people yesterday were saying, yeah, we just ignore the sirens, you know, because they come through so often until you see the alert or you listen to the police scanner that say it's touched down within a mile of you. That's what my wife and I did when it touched down in Naperville. We were in bed and I was like, eh, whatever. It's just, it's a warning. It's probably 20 miles away. And then we saw it was a mile from our house. Like, okay. We should probably go to the basement. Yeah. With the kids. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm glad we got to go out into the community. It was good. Uh, we got some people to share their stories. I think it's going to be good to be able to have those firsthand testimonials of how the organization is able to help, how the foundation is affecting people in our local communities. And uh, we're just so glad to be partners with you guys because it is a really cool experience to get to help people that you are neighbors with like this. For sure, man. And I know since we had our first call a couple of weeks ago, the amount of work that you, Mickey, the rest of the staff have put in has just been Unbelievable! It's been a real team effort here, <laughs> yeah, and it's been crazy the last couple of days. I, I I'll admit, but uh, but to see all of the volunteers so organized, they know what to do. We're processing applications, we're accepting grant requests, we're distributing the money, we're taking testimonials. It's been it's been very well organized on a two week notice. Yeah. So yeah. I think not not hopefully we never have to do this again, but I'm sure we will. Um, our plan is to create a, a comprehensive guide to how to go about doing this. And, and your input's going to be vital to that because I know you were boots on the ground since day one. So yeah, we've, uh, we've learned a lot. I think God forbid next time this happens, we'll be much more prepared to organize this a lot more quickly, but um, you know, we're grateful for the support we've gotten from you guys. We appreciate y'all being here with us the last three days. And uh, hopefully we don't see you here for a very long time. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, but it's been great. You know, the accommodations have been awesome. We've got, had some really good meals, um, <laughs> good steakhouses. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope next time we see each other, it's under better circumstances, yeah. but certainly are appreciative of everything you and ARA and, and, uh, and the, the foundation here and our national foundation have been able to kind of collaborate and work together on. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. We yeah. appreciate you and we'll catch everybody next time on refocus.